Um, you know, have you guys ever felt frustrated? Or tap-tap-pe? In Korean, we say tap-tap-pe. It's almost like you can't breathe easily. Have you ever been in a room where, like, let's, for example, how many of you guys ever been to a gingerbang before? Okay, you've been into a sauna, and you kind of step into one of the really hot rooms, and it's hard to breathe. And each breath has to be intentional. Each breath has to, uh, you got to think about it, because breathing itself becomes a chore, it becomes a task. It becomes work in that kind of situation. Have you guys ever felt that way? You know, um, if you think about a room that's stuffy, you know, you walk in a room and it's stuffy, how do you get the airflow in? How can you breathe easy again? You guys can answer. It's not rhetorical. What can you do? Yeah, open a window, right? What else? What else can you do? Let's say you open the window, but it still feels mad stuffy in there. What can you do to make it feel less stuffy? You know, Pastor John asked me this earlier today, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, what else can you do but open a window? And he was sharing with me, well, you can clear out the clutter in the room. You know, it's funny because we try to think of clearing out uh, the feeling of frustration with outer circumstances, changing our outer circumstances. These are good things. Opening up a window is crucial. It's important. However, however, sometimes one of the things that you have to do, even if you open a window, is clear out the room, clear out the junk. If you think about the places that are the most tatape, it's the places that are crowded. I don't know about you, but I take line two home every day. And subway line two at any time of the day, actually, but especially during the morning and during in the evening, it gets so stuffy and you just like, and people are like here and here and here and you're just, you can't breathe and it's so, and you just smell all sorts of smells and you know things you don't want to smell and it's like you can't move, you can't walk away from it, there's no going anywhere. The only way for that to change is for this subway to get cleared out. I love it when you hit a, a popular station and then the mad people just walk out and you're like, yes. Praise the Lord, and finally you can kind of breathe again. Well, you know, our spiritual lives are similar to that. Sometimes the solutions to our frustration, our inability to really breathe in God's presence, even our inability to experience hunger for God, it really is about decluttering. It's about getting rid of some stuff you're holding on to. I don't know why I mentioned that. That has nothing to do with my sermon, but I thought you should just hear that. All right, we're going to open up our Bibles, and we're going to open up to James. Every time I read James, I uh, feel like I'm getting smacked in a good way. James, and we're going to look at James verses 2 to 8. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 8. <laughs> Okay, um, are you guys all there? All right, James chapter 1, verse 2 to 8. Let's read it together on the count of three. One, two, three. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, 
And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And what I want you to do is, I'm not going to pray. I want you guys to take a moment. I want you to pray for the person sitting next to you. And I just want you to just pray that God would hit fertile ground tonight. Okay, so why don't you guys just pray quickly for one another. You might want to introduce yourself. Yeah, Father, we just pray right now that you would awaken us. God, I just take authority and I bind every spirit of slumber. I bind every spirit of distraction. And God, Lord, I just break it off of this room and every single person here in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that you would release, God, an awakening, an alertness, a clarity, God, a sharpness, a readiness, a hunger to receive your word, God. And Lord, I thank you that you're making our soil fertile. In this moment, Lord, we pray, God, that the seed would not be found in rocky soil and not be found, Lord, in soil that would get choked by the cares and the worries of the world, Lord. But Father, that you would find fertile soil so that we can produce a harvest of 30, 60, 100 fold. And so, Father, we just pray right now, Lord, even as the word goes out, Lord, Father, that you would begin to water it, God, that you would multiply it in our lives. We just thank you, Father, that your word is like a double-edged sword and it cuts the foolishness. It cuts the foolishness out of our lives and it establishes us, God, in truth and in freedom. We just pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Scripture says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Not a little bit. Not this one thing. Not this all thing. Count it all joy whenever you face trials of various kinds. That, that sentence there, what? How many of you guys get excited about going through trials? How many of you guys would pay money to go through trials in your life, like going to an amusement park, watching a movie? How many of you guys, when you open up your planner at the beginning of the year, you write down, okay, from April to June, I'm going to schedule in some trials? Yeah! How many of you guys do that? Initially, when you first think of the word trial, your heart might not be filled with joy. In fact, joy is probably the most opposite response or reaction that most people would face when you're talking about a hardship. This is something we get excited for. It's not something we look forward to when we think about it in the context of worldly ways. However, here in James, he's trying to 
change our mind, renew our mind about trials so that even when we're in the midst of it, even when we're facing it, even when we're walking away from it, we can count it all as joy. Now that can only take gangster kind of faith. It can only take, for me, I read this and I'm like, only a Christian can do that. I don't know someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ that can really count all trials with joy. It's got to be purely through Christ. Why do I say that? Well, if you read the rest of this verse, it goes, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I remember last time I was here, I preached the message on the rich young man who came and ran at uh, Jesus, fell on his knees and said, what must I do to have eternal life? That was the question on his heart. And Jesus uh, responded to him, go and sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. Then you may become perfect. That word perfect, remember I told you in Greek, do you guys remember what the Greek word is? Man, I would give you so much props if someone just said that right now. (laughs) I remember it because I couldn't pronounce it. Like I said it 60 times in the last message and I said it wrong. I think it's something like teleos. And that Greek word, it means totality, lacking nothing. When Jesus said, go sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor so that you may be perfect, he wasn't talking about perfection in in the sense of the worldly word perfection, but it was so that you will have everything. It's funny, that's how scripture goes. It's like oxymorons. It's like when you die, you live. (laughs) You know what I mean? And here, Jesus was telling this young man, give it away so that you can have everything. Hmm. The reason why he was saying something like that is when you give it away, you would have eternal life, which is relationship with Christ. What God was trying to do through Jesus' words was teaching that young man that Jesus is everything. You give away what you're comfortable with. You give away your idols. You give away your comforts. You give away this freely because you're not losing anything when you gain Christ. Christ is everything. And here James is telling us, in order that we may be perfect and complete. Another, I guess, definition of that Greek word teleos is grown, mature, an adult. He's saying in order for you to become an adult, you got to face some trials. Why? Because trials tests your faith. And what does the testing of your faith do? It produces steadfastness. Another word would be perseverance or endurance. Patience. Count it all joy. You know, when I first read this passage, well, this is a really... It's a personal verse to me because it was my theme verse in 2008, I believe, 
when midnight struck at 2008, I remember I was sitting in the, a joint service with the Korean ministry uh, at Cheresunga Church and uh, New Philly. We were having a joint New Year's Eve service. And God gave me this word as the theme verse for the year, which is like not something you want to hear. You know what I mean? Like you want the theme verse to be something like crazy exciting, like, you know. You know, an open door that no man, God will open up a door that no man can shut. You know, like that's exciting. But no, I got counted all as joy when you eat trials of various kinds. And I'm like, dang it. <laughs> I was like, come on, God, throw me a bone. No, no. And it just so happened that 2008 was one of the toughest years, a year full of trials and circumstances. But when I look back, all I feel is joy about that year. You know, something that we need to remember, because none of us want to go through trials and circumstances, is that our goal in life is actually not to pursue happiness. You know, I know maybe you guys seen this movie by, uh, not by, but an actor named Will Smith. He was in a movie called Pursuit of Happiness. And it's a film about, you know, this poor, um, you know, man that lost everything that he had. And he was climbing up basically the business ladder, social ladder. And he ended up becoming, you know, getting a coveted position in this amazing corporation. And it's the pursuit of happiness. Well, you know, our, our goal in life is actually not to be happy. If we think that way, then we will always choose comfort. Naturally, if our goal in life is to be happy, then we'll always choose what makes us feel most comfortable at that time. But our goal, our purpose in life is not to be happy, even though it is a natural effect of this, but our main number one goal in life is to be like Christ. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 40, 48, it says, uh, be perfect as I am perfect. Our goal in life is to become more like Christ. If we really had that idea embedded in us, I think the decisions that we make or even the way that we see circumstances would be a little bit different. I think because we pursue comfort as our number one goal, we're constantly finding ourselves being tempted to be steered off course as, a, as opposed to following the will of the Lord. Because being like Christ is not easy. And in fact, in order to be like Christ, he tests us. He puts us through the fire to refine us. He puts us through different situations to take off, to get rid of some of the stuff that's not so much like Christ. So really, if I were to interpret this scripture and reword it like the version of Aaron Lee, I would say, count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds, because it makes you more like Christ. When you understand that the trials that you are facing are actually producing and creating and molding and shaping and causing you to be more like Jesus, we can count it as joy. All of a sudden, it's not a waste it's not a wasteful season. Oh, man, that season was so difficult. And you look back and it's a waste of two months of your life. No, it was not a waste of two months. It was a time of testing. But when you came out of it, hopefully, you came out more like Christ. Now, here's the thing about testing. Let's be real here. Let's be real here. Not everybody goes through trials and come out looking more like Jesus. Some of you guys come out of trials looking more like you know, your flesh. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. You know? <laughs> um, or, or worse than you were. Some of you guys come out of trials more discouraged, more disillusioned, maybe even questioning whether God even loves you or whether this whole thing is a joke or a lie. 
it's funny because when you go through a trial, trials don't produce faith. It only exposes it. So if you go through a trial and you find yourself in a place where your faith is being shaken, what's being exposed is you need more faith. For some of you, when you go through trials, it exposes your faith and you actually overcome. And you're able to tap into the joy that can only come when you believe. This counted all joy is not separated from faith. It only comes with faith, in conjunction with faith. That's why trials are tough, because it exposes. And nobody likes getting exposed. I don't know about you, but being vulnerable is very difficult at times, isn't it? Sometimes the easier thing to do is cover up. The harder thing is to be real with yourself and to be real with others about where you're at or about what you're struggling with. But here, in this situation, when you're talking about trials and you're talking about being exposed, it's, it's, it's an opportunity where God says, look and see that you can't live life without me. I wish that trials produced faith sometimes, it only exposes it. And, in fact, it can strengthen it. But it doesn't necessarily produce it. What it does produce is endurance. But it produces endurance. Trials produces patience. It produces perseverance. It produces endurance, steadfastness. How many of you guys have ever ran before in a race, like a running race. Okay. You know, I did track when I was in high school, middle school and high school, and, you know, I make a joke out of this all the time, but I did track not because I enjoyed running. I did track because I could not get on the volleyball team, and uh, track was a walk-on team, meaning you didn't have to try out. Anybody could join track. So I was like, yay, I'll do track. And I did it. And it was really difficult. And track could be split up into maybe three different categories. It's short distance, long distance, and then like field, field activities. Not really field activity, but, you know, shot put or, you know, long jump. Or that's totally not how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm like, yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, that tall pole that you, yeah. What is that called? That high jump, maybe? Pole. Yeah, that, that, that. Okay, so that, right? Well, I was never really fast. So short distance running, I just wasn't allowed to do. Like even if I wanted to, I wasn't allowed to because I was so slow. And so they put me in the long distance track. So I ran about half mile races, it's 800 meters. And I remember the first race that I ever ran, com a competitive race that is, you know, I, I trained, I did whatever. And uh, you start kind of on the floor, so your knees are bent, and you kind of line your hands like this, and you put your butt in the air, you know, like, ready, bam! And then you go, bam, 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 right? And so I'm getting ready to kind of start, and I remember I, I, I had all this adrenaline, like, rushing through my body, and I was, like, looking at my, you know, opponents, and I was like, okay, I gotta, I'm going to win this, I can win this. And the gun, you know, goes off, 
And I start running so fast. And seriously, everybody's like here, right? And I'm like, <laughs> 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 you know, like I was just, woo! And the first bend, this is a two lap race, so it's not really that long, right? But the first bend here, all of a sudden, I couldn't breathe anymore. <laughs> And like, as much as I wanted to continue that pace, my legs started like burning and like stiffening up. And all of a sudden, everybody, boom, 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 one by one started passing me. I ended up uh, getting last place. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I hate, I hate a track, you know, I, I, I. <laughs> the, the thing is, I learned that it's not a, about how well you start the race, it's about how well you finish it. And for me, what I didn't learn at that time in my track career was endurance. I didn't get it. All I wanted was just the, the hot passion to get me going. But if you don't have endurance, your passion means nothing. You know, yeah, okay, you're on fire today. That's great, but you need endurance in your spiritual walk in order to continue the race that's marked out for you. It's funny that I mentioned track because scripture likes to make that same picture as well in Hebrews. It talks about running the race that's marked out for us. Persevering, with perseverance. And taking off everything that hinders, everything that entangles on the way, we got to run forward. And so here, God wants you and I to have perseverance in our lives. It's not about how you start the semester. It's about how you end it. It's not about how you start your Christian walk with the Lord. It's when you look back, how have you ended your life? How sad would it be if you were getting ready to pass at the age of, let's say, I don't know, let me, let me give you guys a good number, 93. You lived a long life, 93 years old, and you look back at your life, and when you think about the strong relationship you had with the Lord, it was only a second when you were in college. You know, I've met people who, when I first met them, I thought they were the strongest Christians ever. And they amazed me. They were such a role model to me. They were so passionate and full of life. And, I, and, and I've met them again five years later, ten years later down the road, and, and they're questioning whether Jesus is truly the Son of God. And seeing that, it like shattered, like broke my heart. That, that same person that inspired me to become a better Christian all of a sudden questioning their own walk with the Lord. It's not about how you start. It's about how you end. So if it's about how you end, what you need is perseverance. What you need is endurance. You need steadfastness. This is something that we cannot skip. It's something that we cannot avoid. It's something that we must wholeheartedly pursue and in order to get steadfastness, what has to happen? Trials. Okay, here we go. Now we're going back, right? What has to happen? Yeah, I know. You don't want to hear it, but trials. Trials has to happen. You know, if you look up the word trial in Greek, it's pers... 
My goodness. Hmm. Perosmos. Okay, it's P-E-I-R-A-S-M-O-S. P-E-I-R-A-S-M-O-S. You tell me how you think that sounds. I want to hear. Go ahead. All right, we'll take it, all right? That's what it is, all right? And here it talks about adversity, affliction, trouble sent by God, serving to test or prove one's character, faith, and holiness. That same word, trial, or that Greek word, it's used in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in the time of trial, fall away. This is talking about the parable of the sower. And one of the soils, remember I prayed this prayer earlier, but the soil, that the seed that lands on rock, are the ones who hear the word of God, they receive it with joy. Wow, good word. Amen, Pastor Aaron. But they have no root. Why? Because when trial happens, they fall away. Trials are inevitable. Turn to your neighbor. Say, trials are inevitable. Okay, say it with some happiness. Go ahead, do it again. <laughs> Everyone's octave went like three, three, like trials are inevitable. Yeah, trials are inevitable. But what's not inevitable is your experience with it. You can go through trials with discouragement, disillusionment, fear, anxiety, hopelessness, pain, terror, or you can go through trials with joy. Which one do you guys want to choose? Definitely joy, but the only way to consider a trial joy is by understanding what's going on. You know, I'm trying to get more healthy, and this is a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a confession here because I, I, you know, I'm trying. Trying is the key word here. Okay, trying. And I have one of the biggest sweet tooths like you will ever, ever meet. You know, and I think it's a generational curse that got passed down because. I met my grandfather on my mom's side, and like, homie, his teeth are all gone. And he has dentures, and even with his dentures, he just eats chocolate all day. And when I'm with him, that's all we do. All you hear is the crinkling of like candy wrappers, and we're together. And I'm just like, thank you, grandfather. Now, obviously, it, you know, obviously, I, it's not my fault, is what I'm trying to tell you. Um, but I, I just grew up having a hardcore sweet tooth. In fact, I was so freakishly, like, in bondage to candy and all things sweet that, um, it's going to sound so bizarre, but you see, my brother, he had a drawer set, right, a dresser. And the top dresser had a key. So that's where he kept all his, like, secret stuff, you know, like letters from girls, which there probably was none, but, you know, like, I don't know what he kept in there. Actually, I do know what he kept in there because uh, one thing that he kept in that drawer that I knew was his stash of candy. So whenever we you know, had Halloween in the States, uh, it's a holiday where you go trick-or-treating, and it's of the devil. But you know, you basically, as a kid, you think it's awesome because you go house to house and you get free candy. And I was the type of child that after collecting all this candy, I eat it all 
within like a week. No joke. Disgusting. Like you would see my bed. My bedside just has empty candy wrappers. Like all. And I brush my teeth, but then in you know in the middle. Like I was in like seriously, I was crazy. My brother, on the other hand, he was the type of personality that he would eat like one or two candies a day. <laughs> right? He had that like perseverance anointing or something. All I know is he had candy and I didn't. Right? And so I, I ran out way quicker than my brother did. I knew that he had like 95% of his stash still in that drawer with that key. So basically, as a young child, it was a game for me to find a key to the top drawer. And uh, this is how crazy I was. I think I must have been prophetic even as a child because I found that key in like the most strangest of places. Like he used to put it in like all sorts of places in his room. He would have baseball trophies. Um, you know the kind that you get that everyone gets after a game? Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Opa. <laughs> but anyway, you know, those little trophies on the top and... And like they would be, and inside one of the trophy cups, he'd put the key, right? Found it easy. You know, like he would put it like under his pillow. It's so easy. That one I found really quickly. But one time he hid the key in the pages of a book, in a bookshelf that was about like, like, like yay big, filled with books. And I found the book. And it's not like I knew that he hid it in a book. Just one day I was like, it's in a book, and I picked it, and boom, the key fell out. Right? It's like so, and then I would just, you know, open the, the drawer, and I'd eat his candy little by little, because if he found out, then he'd hide the key again, and then I have to do it all over. So I had to be strategic about it. Why am I telling you this story? This is where I got a, my addiction to candy. I'm trying to be healthy. There we go. And so the problem started at an early age. And even as I got older, I, I wouldn't eat meals. I would just eat desserts. So, like, I would eat, like, very little of my dinner because right before dinner, I ate a tub of ice cream. So my mom, I mean, she didn't know what to do with me. And even if she tried to hide things or, like, I would find it. Like, I would find everything. Like, they would hide lollipops. My dad owned an import-export business. So he sold candy. Like, what? It's just, it's not my fault. You know, he sold it. He'd bring it home. And then they would hide it like it's a game. And they would hide it, like, in the oven. They would hide it in the garage, in the freezer, like, in weird places. And I would always find it. So, you know, I would skip meals and eat junk food. Now, unfortunately, when I got to high, uh, college, it just continued. Like, I just continued to eat junk. And I loved McDonald's. And I loved, you know... All fast food, all sorts of things, just stuff that's not good for me. The thing is, I stay pretty skinny, so I never really cared, right? You can't really tell how unhealthy you are because I'm pretty sure all of my arteries were clogged with layers of fat and just, I probably, my, my blood pressure was, I was probably on the verge of diabetes. Like, inside it was like disease ridden, but outside I was like, I'm healthy, you know, I look perfectly fine. I look great. And so I never really worried about it as, until I got older. And then um, as I got older, I realized, man, I get tired so easily. I get sick so easily. When I get sick, it takes me longer to recover than other people. Like a common cold takes me out. Like I just realized that my body, I wasn't treating it well. And so I started to really um, 
make efforts to eat healthy. And if you guys know some of my story, I've been trying to get pregnant, trying to get a baby. And one of the things that I found out when I went to the doctor was that my um, my body, I don't want to go into too much women detail here, but even if I try to get pregnant, I wouldn't be able to because my body wasn't functioning properly for it. And as they wanted to put me on different medications and different things like that. But I just told them, no, let me just wait. Let me pray. But as I prayed about it, one thing that God put on my heart is do what you can do. And so as I was praying, God, heal my body. I heard, do what you can do. And I realized, okay, I got to take care of my body. I can't just be like, God, heal me without and me eating all this junk and me not taking care of myself and exercising. And so I began to really try to steward my body better. And so I started eating healthier, working out. And when you work out, especially when you haven't worked out for a long time, you know, during the workout, it's a little painful. Of course, you're, you know, embarrassed because you're sweating when you're like walking, you know, <laughs> everyone is like running fast. And, 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 but, but the real pain comes the next day or the day after that. And it's like physical pain to walk downstairs, walk upstairs. It was physically painful for me to laugh because I'd work out my abs. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's like physically painful for me to get up out of bed. It was pain. It hurt. It was so uncomfortable. But I easily considered it all joy. Why? Because I knew my body was getting stronger. I was like, yeah, in fact, I enjoyed that pain because the pain was a direct correlation to me changing my body. I knew that pain represented that I was getting stronger. I knew that pain represented that my endurance was becoming more stronger in my running. I knew that pain represented that my muscles were getting ripped, you know? Well, not just like ripped, but like literally they were ripping in order to grow bigger and and batter and whatever you say. I'm so not. (laughs) You know, and I remember my husband, if you guys don't know this, Pastor Christian used to be a bodybuilder back in the day. He likes talking about it, you know. And in college, he used to do body, I remember him doing bodybuilding competitions, and he'd have to rub self-tanner over his body. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But he was, like, jacked, right? And he was so hardcore into it. But I remember him saying one of the best feelings was the pain after a good workout. Because it just eludes, it points, it's a sign. It's a sign that's saying, wow, I'm getting stronger. Wow, I am getting more fit. I am getting more healthy. I'm growing. I say this because I think we need to take a a different perspective on when we hit trials. Because when things get tough, often the first thing to come out is complaint, or why, or I bind you in the name of Jesus and I cast you out, or, you know, like, this is of the devil, or whatever it may be. But whether it's a source from the devil, or whether it's God, or whether it's yourself, it's an opportunity for you to grow. It's an opportunity for you to get stronger. It's an opportunity for you to be built up. And eventually, really, it's an opportunity for you to become more like Christ. That doesn't happen without trial. 
It doesn't happen with a, without a little bit of pressure. It doesn't happen without a little bit of, of things that are making you uncomfortable and uneasy. It doesn't happen without circumstances not going your way. Things need to go wrong in order for us to step up, in order for us to rise up. Trials are a good thing. Man, if we embrace this truth, and you know, it's easy to embrace now, but when you're facing it, it's not easy. But irregardless, when you remind yourself, man, today is so hard. What I'm going through right now is so difficult, but I know that this is producing me. It is causing me to become mature. It is causing my faith to be exposed. Sometimes, Some of you guys don't know just how strong your faith is. And it doesn't happen until trial comes your way and you realize, wow, you really actually believe in God. You know, like, look at that. You actually believe in Jesus, you know? Like, you weren't faking it when you were confessing that he is the Lord and Savior. When you go through some things, you realize, wow, this is true for me. This is who I am. God is who he says he is. And he is to me who I says he is to me. It's so, so important. Now, in 2008, when I was going through this time, and, and first of all, who, who wrote this book? Do you guys know? Awesome. James, right? Very good. Very good educational guest. But there's a couple of James in scripture that this could allude to. But the James that this is referring to is Jesus' half-brother, James. Okay, it wasn't the disciple James, it was Jesus' half-brother. Ooh, imagining being Jesus' half-brother. Like, that's intense, right? So, I grew up jealous of my brother. and com- Anyway, I can't even... So poor James, all right? So here's James. This is James' half-brother. Well, I mentioned him as an author because he was someone that understood trials and persecution and, and knowing how to persevere. In fact, the way that he died was he was martyred. He was pushed from the highest point of the temple. He fell to the ground, but that's not actually what killed him. People gathered around him, and they beat him to death. So as if being pushed off the temple wasn't enough, blam, no, he was still living. And in the midst of being pushed off the building, on the floor, on the ground, I'm sure at this point he was in massive amounts of pain, still persecutors gathered around him and they beat him to death. Now this is the way that he died, but the way that he lived after Jesus ascended back into heaven was so much persecution. They, these apostles, disciples, the, the people of God at this time, the people of the church, they don't have it the way that you and I have it. It's not, a, hey, are you going to be there on Tuesday night at large group? Yay, I'll see you then. And it's just easy breezy. No, they had to pay the cost of being a Christian. They were persecuted. In fact, many of them had to give and lay down their lives for the name of Jesus. And so this is a man that's not talking about trials like, you know, you're having a bad hair day, or trials like, you know, your zipper broke off of your pants, or trials like, you know, I don't know where that example came from, but trials like, whatever it may be, you didn't get the food that you wanted to eat. I mean, we're talking about intense persecution, being hated by people, being attacked by people. And yet, even in that intense persecution, he said, count it all as what? As joy. You know, 2008, I told you that was the year of my theme verse. The reason why that was a special year was it was the year I got married. 
And I told you a little bit about my love story the last time I was here, right? I was telling you guys about, you know, the walk, you know, on, a, on a Namsan Mountain. And I talked a little bit about how I had to confess some of the sins that I had committed uh, to, to Pastor Christian in order for us to move forward in our relationship, you know, not realizing when I was in these relationships with these guys growing up that I was, you know, uh, gonna have to unlearn everything <laughs> that I learned in these relationships. And so, you know, I, I told you guys about, you know, that portion of the, the relationship. I told you that he forgave me. I told you that he really manifested the gospel message to me. Well, fast forward about another couple of months on our six month anniversary, my husband proposed and it was a lovely day. He proposed to me that the same place, he took me to different spots all throughout Seoul. And the premise of the proposal was he gave me six gifts, one representing each month that we were together. And he gave me each gift periodically throughout the night. So the first gift I got was for the first month. And he wrote a little, the song, the song of the month. And then he wrote me a poem. But the poem wasn't like, you know, that, you know, your eyes are like the sun. When it shines, no, it was just like, just stuff that rhymed, okay? And so, but it was like my style, it was like, like more like a, I guess so, it was more like a rap, but, um, so this, he gave me each gift, and then the sixth gift came, and, uh, he was getting ready to, you know, the sixth gift was the ring, you know, and so he was getting ready to propose to me on the palace steps where we had our first date. But this part of the story, you guys don't need to know the story, so I'll move on. Um, so at the time, at the time, I was lactose intolerant, uh, but did not know it. And the night of my engagement, I had milk tea. And uh, as soon as he was ready to propose, I had diarrhea. <laughs> Like, no joke. Like, I felt the rumbling of my stomach. And it's like you knew that you knew it was going to go down. And so he's like, are you ready? And I'm like, hold up. I got to go to the bathroom right now. Long story short, I, I just, it was bad. And he couldn't propose to me on the palace steps. He ended up proposing to me in the elevator, which I mentioned. I talked about that the last message, right? The elevator. So diarrhea, save the day. Okay, so... Well, the engagement was an incredible day, most of it. But after the engagement, all hell broke loose in my life. In fact, my parents were completely opposed to the marriage. They did not want me to marry Pastor Christian at all. Um, they wanted to, you know, they, they phrase it as just wait a little bit longer. It's been too short. But ultimately, they had some major concerns. One concern was that his parents were divorced. His father was a non-believer. I came from a, a family, a lineage, long lineage of Christian believers. Um, second thing was that he was a missionary. He was raising support. So they were saying, how can he support a family raising support like that? Um, and the major, major reason why they did not support this marriage is because I, myself, mm, they weren't 
physically there to see the transformation that I had. When I left New York to go to Korea, I was still doing drugs. I was still um, in my old backslidden lifestyle. So that's the... They didn't know to what extent how bad my life was, but they knew that something was not right. And so that was my life at the time. All of a sudden, you go to Korea. A year later, your daughter says to you, by the way, I'm engaged, and I want to marry this man who's five years older than me, who's a missionary, and yada, yada, yada. And so they were very against that marriage at the time. And it got so bad that my mom got Korean drama on me, and she stopped eating. And she started getting bedridden. And everyone in my family started saying, it's your fault that your mom is sick. What kind of daughter are you? This, I'm very close with my family. I'm a New Yorker. All of my family was in New York. And so when we got together for Thanksgiving, it was like 60 people together, you know, with turkey and chapche and mashed potatoes and mandu, you know, like the whole shebang. Very tight with my family. And these people that I loved, that I grew up with, that were like my siblings, all turned against me. That's how I felt. That's how I felt. You know, when I look back on it now, I know that they all loved me, you know, and they all wanted what was best for me, but they didn't agree with my decision. And so it felt like the whole world was against me. It was such a difficult season in my life To have my parents so upset at me, so angry, my brother angry, my cousins angry, even my best friends thought that I was a fool to want to get married. I was 23 years old. 23. In New York, that's like crazy young to get married. I know it's different where you are, but like New York standards, my cousins got married at 30, 31, 29 maybe, but 23 Definitely not. And so I faced immense persecution, and so did Christian on my behalf. And it was such a difficult time for me. And I remember going back and thinking about this verse, because it was the theme verse of the year, right? And reading it and reading, count it all joy whenever you face trials of various kinds. And you know, I'm like, what? I was, I was struck. It was just so difficult for me. I was like, God, what was going, what is going on? And I remember right at the height of, not the height, it was like so many ups and downs, but what, right at one of the heights, I had a dream. And in this dream, I was on an adventure with one of my close friends that was in Korea at the time. And she and I were kind of like, like it's, it was like a game, like, you know, Super Mario. You know, so I was like, you know, like on this journey and we hit this place where it's a huge gap and it's a bottomless pit. Like I just knew if I threw a coin down there, I wouldn't hear the sound of the coin falling to the ground. Like I knew that the pit represented like death. Like to me, it's like if I fell in the pit, I was going to die. That's how my mind was processing in the dream. And the only way to get across this pit were these like swings, which sounds fun, right? So there's these, (laughs) yeah, no, they were so scary. It's these iron swings that you just, you swing and then there's like a handlebar. So I remember like at first I didn't know what to do, but my friend was like, come on. And so she sits on the swing and she gets on the handlebar. And basically what you do is you just like scoot, you know, you just kind of like swing your way across the gap. So I got on and I started swinging and swinging and swinging. And about midway, half point of me swinging, the seat flew out under me. 
And so all I had was the handlebar, and all of a sudden I was hanging. So I was sitting, which was like comfortable, right? But when the seat fell out, all, all that happened was I just hung and my own body weight weighed me down. And I literally felt like, this is it. I'm going to die right here, right now. The grit. Okay, here we go. <laughs> the grit, I was like, <laughs> like, it was like this right here. And I, I was so scared for my life. And I remember at that moment, all of a sudden, something happened where I started feeling this bubbling in my stomach. And next thing I know, right here, and I'm speaking in tongues in my dream. And I am like straight up speaking in tongues, holding on to this. But as I'm praying in tongues, like the thought was I'm going to die, right? But then as I'm praying in tongues, all of a sudden it's, no, I'm going to live. Like something switched, I'm going to live. And I literally felt like my muscles, like getting stronger. And it went from this, and I was like, you know, like praying in tongues. And then it was like, boom, I gripped it, and I just felt the strength of God on me. It, it went from my body weight, my flesh weighing me down to the supernatural strength of God. Filled me up in my dream. I'm praying in tongues. And my grip gets strengthened, and all of a sudden, I'm swinging with just my arms. I'm like, yeah, you know, and I just start <laughs> swinging, and I'm like, I'm going to get to the other side, you know, like, I just, the, the faith, the faith that I had in that moment was like, and, and it, it was incredible, and all of a sudden, right before I reached the other side, the chair, the swing, the seat part comes back, and I sit on it, and then I get to the other side. And so I remember like, what does that mean? You know, it's such a bizarre, yeah, I'm a dreamer. I get really weird dreams. Like 80, 80, 80% of it is foolishness. Like I got to tell you some stuff that I dreamt that's nonsense. But about maybe, maybe 20%, maybe 10%. I have vivid, vivid dreams that I know I don't get initially, but I know that God's speaking to me. So I wrote it down as soon as I woke up and I prayed about it all week. I told Christian about it, but by the time I told Christian, God gave me revelation of what it meant. And he was saying that this gap was basically the the season of, I guess, trial and persecution that I was going to go through. And initially, initially as I'm kind of encountering where, where I'm going through this gap where it's not easy for me to just walk on and sit in a seat. I have the support of my family and my friends. The seat represented my support. And the handlebar represented my faith in God. And so the support I had, you know, in the beginning, but then all of a sudden the, the support falls away and God was telling me that it was him. See, I was so ready to say that it was the devil that made my parents, you know what I mean, come against me or my family. I was like, this is the devil. But I realized that God was saying, no, I'm doing this. And when I thought about that, I said, why would you do this? And then I remembered that part of the dream where I thought I was going to die. But in the midst of the circumstance, what was exposed? I had faith. And right in me, where I didn't even know existed, the faith began to bubble up inside, 
and you know, come out, and the tongues, and I just shifted into the spirit in that moment, and I was strengthened back, and the handlebar, representing my faith, I was able to move forward on faith alone, without the support. But right before I get to the other side, what happened? The support came right back. So that was a prophetic promise to me that my parents' hearts would change before I got married. That was a dream to me that I knew God was saying. He was promising me, Erin, before you have your wedding day, your parents will support you. That time, that season was so difficult. But can I tell you what I found out during that season? I understood that I was getting strengthened. You know, when I face trials today, I'm like, yeah, okay. It, it doesn't phase me. Things that other people have a nervous breakdown over, it's not that big of a deal to me. Why? Because I face some things that have already developed my muscles to a certain extent where I know that God's going to get me through. It's easy peasy. I was in Australia doing a missions trip. We got a phone call from someone who was living with us at a time, Judy, one of our main students. She was living with me in my home. She told me that our house Right, The home that we were living in, the realtor was showing it off to different people. And we're like, what? We still live there. And we found out as we called the realtor in Australia that our home was sold. We were still living there. And so they were saying, guess what? Your home is sold. You have to move out right away. And I'm halfway across the world. Halfway across? Well, I'm in a different, <laughs> I, was, I don't know if it's halfway, but I'm in a different country. And yet when me and my husband heard that, we're like, Okay, you know, like, I guess that's, it is what it is. I mean, of course, we had to sit and really think about it and, and set a plan. And, you know, there was a moment where we got, you know, tempted to be stressed out. But, no, it didn't phase us. We didn't cry. I didn't get on my knees and ask the Lord why he was doing this to me. I just understood in that moment, no, God, he has the best in mind for me. And the reason why I felt so strongly about that was because of the other trials that I had been through prior had set me up to a place where I was growing in my maturity with the Lord. So that when what? The wave of the sea that is driven and tossed, I'm sorry, the, when the winds toss and turn, you're not the one that's moving along with it. You're stable. You're firm. That can't come without maturity. You want to know how strong your faith is? You take a look at how you handle trials. You want to know how strong your relationship with the Lord is? A good indication is what do you do when things aren't going your way? What happens when unpredictability, you know, something that's unpredictable happens? What happens when things get tough? What happens when there's problems? What happens when you get an F on an exam you studied really hard for? I know some of you guys are like, oh my gosh. I don't even know what I would do. <laughs> even in those moments, God has given us the ability to consider it all joy. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, count it all joy. Count it all joy. You know, I'll, I'll end with this. Recently, as you guys heard, I wanted to get pregnant, but recently I went through a really tough time where I did get pregnant in the month of February, and I ended up getting a miscarriage. 
And the, the difficult part of that time, obviously having a miscarriage itself was, would be difficult for anybody. Uh, whether you're a believer, a non-believer, it doesn't matter. That's hard, losing your baby. But I think what made it a little bit more difficult and hard for me to process was I really believed that it was a promise of God for me to get pregnant. You see, the apartment that we moved into um, was number 2811. And when we moved in, I remember God saying, search scripture for that number because I have a promise attached to it. And at the time, I was reading the book and studying the book Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy 28.11 was a direct promise for the fruitfulness of your womb. Okay, so it was the fruitfulness of your land, fruitfulness of your, um, uh, the land that I swore to give to you, the land that I swore to give to your fathers, fruitfulness of your livestock, fruitfulness of your womb, and the fruitfulness of your land. And so... I was taking that as a promise. My husband, in the month of January, heard the voice of God speaking through his quiet time, saying, by this time next year, you will be with child. That's a promise that he gave to Abraham and Sarah, right? And so here's all these, like, to us, prophetic insights that we're going to get pregnant. I get pregnant. I, we find out officially on Valentine's Day. It's incredible. We're so happy. I'm elated. I'm so excited. This is after the doctor told me that I would not be able to get pregnant after for, uh, unless I had fertility treatment. And so it was already a sign and a miracle. And all of a sudden, in the ultrasound, I find out that there's no baby in the sack. They call it Egypt. In, uh, in Korea, Egypt, you know, the sack where the baby has its little house, there was n- nothing inside of it. And so if I just accept, accepted it then and there, I think, yeah, it would have been difficult. But what happened was I still felt God saying, no, it's not over. So I prayed. In fact, my spiritual mentor, Pastor Sunny, she had gone through the same thing. Her sack was empty. She was told that it was a miscarriage. They prayed. They laid hands. And the next time they went to the doctors, they heard a heartbeat. And Alethea, their daughter, was born. And so I'm like, I'm writing on the testimony of my spiritual mother. You know, like, this is just going to be easy. The whole staff, the main staff, they were praying for me. My new Philly staff, core leadership, they're all praying for me. And so week by week, it went from week seven, empty. Eight, empty. Nine, empty. Ten, empty. Each week, I went to see the doctor. And each week, I saw a sonogram, an ultrasound with an empty sack. The whole process was so difficult because I kept asking myself, God, where is the miracle? Where is the miracle? I don't understand. You told me. I could have sworn you told me that you were going to show me a sign and a wonder. I'm pretty sure there were so many Bible verses that I was standing on, and it was exactly what God was speaking to me. I know that he was speaking it to me. So why? If he was speaking this, why would he not show himself true to his word? I was so confused. And I was struggling in that moment to understand. I just couldn't understand what was going on at that time. I was so heartbroken. I had to get a surgery. In fact, I ended up getting two surgeries to complete the miscarriage. And it, it, was, it was very, very hard for me. And looking back on it now, as I just continue to walk through that trial, and I look back on it today, 
the one thing that God has revealed to me about what happened in those three months is he said, I was making you more like me. And that's really hard to initially embrace or explain. But I, in that moment, I was able to meet with the Lord on a more intimate level than I ever had in my life. In that moment, I was able to understand the suffering of Christ more than ever in my life. You know, in that moment, in that season, I was able to understand even the expanse of God's love. Despite not seeing the miracle, I was able to understand the expanse of God's love for me and for everybody else more than ever in my life. How does that make sense? I'm not sure. All I know is I got put through the fire, but I myself didn't get burned. What did get burned away, though, were some of the things that I was holding on to that wasn't God. And I realized that in that place of, of just hardship and trial, God was making me more like him. And he was producing a steadfastness and a perseverance in me that despite even losing my own child that I believed was a promised child, I was able to praise God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind and all of my strength. See, God's promise to you and I is not to make our life easier. It's about making us more like him. And even in the midst of the process of becoming more like Christ, when you want to run away and you want to quit, God still reigns you in and he causes you to face and confront your trials with a spirit of joy. Um, I want you guys to just close your eyes. And um, yeah, just take a second and just think for a moment. Just close your eyes and just take a second and think. See, if scripture says consider it all joy, then you can imagine what the devil's trying to get you to consider trials and circumstances. See, his desire is for you to face hardships and to curse God, just as Job was tempted to curse God in his time of trials. He's trying to get you to lose faith instead of being strengthened in your faith. He's trying to get you to quit, not persevere. Because let me tell you the opposite of endurance is quitting. That's the opposite of endurance. So if God's will for you is to endure, then trust me, you better believe the devil's will for you is to quit. And that's often what happens. You face hard times, and the animal instinct inside of us wants to avoid the pain and go straight to pleasure. So we think in order to go back to pleasure, we got to quit what we're dealing with right now. Let me run away from my family. Let me just not talk to them anymore. Because when I talk to them, I get stressed out. So I'm not going to talk to them anymore. Or let me not, let me not do leadership anymore. Or let me not, you know, go to church. Because when I go to church, I get confronted about these things that I'm struggling with. And I don't want to go through that. So I'm just going to quit. I'm going to go back to pleasure. But what God is saying to you is he did not create you to be a quitter. He has called you to be one that endures to the very end.
you know, when I work out, this sounds bizarre, but I tell myself my body was made to do this. As much as it feels unnatural for me, and I t- I'm like, I'm not athletic, or all these other lies, but I, I, I try to drown out all those other things, and I say, no, my body was made to be healthy. My body was made to be physically strong. My body was made to endure a 30-minute run on a treadmill without quitting. I can do this. I was created for this. Your spiritual life was created to endure circumstances and trials of any kind. Guess what? No matter what you're facing, everything that you need is already inside of you, not only to overcome that trial, but to go through it with joy. And what God wants to expose in you is faith, not faithlessness. And he wants to change your perception because some of you have been struggling. And you've been asking God, what have I been doing wrong? Why am I facing this? What's wrong here? Why aren't you getting me out of this circumstance or situation? And God is saying, no, consider it pure joy because I am making you mature. I am making you more like me. Give thanks in all circumstances, scripture says. This is why we can give thanks when it's good, and this is why we can give thanks when it's difficult. Because through it all, he is the potter, and you are the clay. And he is molding and shaping you to be more like him. So I want to take this time, I want to pray for some people who have been facing some things that have been feeling very overwhelming. You know, maybe it's not something as dramatic as having your family turn on you. It doesn't have to be. Maybe it's something that someone else may consider light or not that big of a deal. But in your experience, it's been difficult. It's been hard. It's been overwhelming. It's been a trial. If that's you, I really believe that God wants to encourage you today. He wants to strengthen you today. And so I want you to just stand to your feet right now. If